Now please join us for 30 seconds of silence as we ground ourselves to begin our service today. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power to walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room. So let us know together as we continue to nurture this, this vibration of the Most High through music, through our awareness, as we, as we call forth that power and presence, that life eternal, that life brilliant, that life genius. It becomes more and more a part of our lives. For that life is our life. And as we open ourselves in this moment, this one moment is an indication that it is available all the time. So as we grow in that awareness and that relationship, I know and I, I, I bless it in great gratitude and appreciation. I'm so grateful this morning for beautiful music, for awareness, for the ability to choose to think, to move upon this planet in freedom physically, to choose how I perceive that which is going on around me and how I interact in my relationships, how I take care of my body, take care of my mind, take care of my soul. So I give thanks to be reminded that this day is a new day, a new possibility that I choose in new ways. Perhaps if I decide to do so, I build upon the old ways. I discard which no longer serves me, but has served me well to this point. So with love and grace, if that be your case, as well as for me, I release it in love gratitude and appreciation. But I know this day is sacred, blessed, powerful, amazing, and dynamic and wonderful, and everything you and I choose is responded to in the affirmative. And for this I give thanks, knowing that that divine grace, intuition, love, and inspiration lives within each and every one of us. I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Amen. Well, good morning. What I want to share with you is to be here now or not to be here now. So, you know, Shakespeare said, to be or not to be, that is the question. 
Well, actually, Hamlet said that, but Shakespeare wrote it for, uh, you guys know what I mean. Uh, so anyway, and what inspired that was um, uh, Elizabeth Lesser is a wonderful teacher. She and uh, Ram Dass, Richard Alpert, founded the um, Omega Institute, and she was working on a, on a project with R- Richard Alpert and Pierre Villiant. And, and Pierre Villiant, P-I-R, Villiant, is a is a son of a, an amazing Sufi, and I'm not even going to try and, and say his name right now because I need it before me, but anyway, it's part of a Sufi lineage, and they were doing a, a meditation workshop. And so, you know, Richard Alpert Ramdas, or as his dad used to call him, Ramdas, because um, he'd make fun of him because he went and changed his name when he went over to anyway. He had to be there, I guess. But anyway, they were having a discussion about meditation, and, 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 and Ram Dass had written a book called Be Here Now, and, and Pierre, Villa, Pierre Villiant, who comes from that Sufi mystical tradition, said, why would we all want to be here now? There's all these beautiful realms. Why wouldn't I want to go there in meditation? So she said they had this amazing discussion about meditation because meditation is our practice, and I thought, isn't that interesting? Because sometimes in my meditation, I'll go off somewhere, and I'll like, wow, that was interesting. But there are many realms in meditation, and I wanted to talk a little bit, or a lot today actually, about meditation because it's such a powerful practice to have in our lives. And sometimes it's good, I know many of you are seasoned and experienced meditators, but it's good to revisit it sometimes. And so as we, uh, as we move along here today, we will go to slide number two, and it talks about meditation. And I'll talk briefly about some of the, the benefits of it, and then we'll get into some of the more details. And I've got a few uh, YouTube videos I want to share with you today as well. But meditation helps us separate the fact, the fact of stress from our anxious reaction to it. So one of the reasons that we're drawn to meditation is life can be stressful. Has anybody ever had any stress? Okay. Me too. Once in a while. But the stress, it helps separate us from our reaction to it. Meditation over time takes us deeper and deeper into the realms where language and thought lose their potency, which is the deeper level of the personality and the egoic nature. Meditation helps us develop compassion for ourselves, love for ourselves, acceptance. Meditation is a a way, an experience, an openness. So it becomes an experience. Meditation is falling in love with a naked reality. So this is life. And all its grandeur and all of its challenges and all of its, uh, its uh, what it is. So we meditate to wake up and live, to become skilled at the art of living. And meditation allows us to be in the world just as it is. So it brings us to this present moment awareness. In um, Scott Peck's book, A Road Less Traveled, the first line in it, now this book was on the New York Times bestseller list for years and years and years. And the first line in it is, life is difficult. But he said that the part of the spiritual journey is, the part of spiritual practice is, is to become fearless in relationship to ourselves and relationship with the world. I just love that. To become fearless in relationship with ourselves and relationship with the world. And then he says after that, because the first line is, life is difficult, which he, he was inspired by the Buddha who said, life is suffering. But he, he westernized it a bit, life is difficult. But he said, once we accept the fact that life is difficult, life no longer is difficult. The paradox, because we just understand that we're here to have the life experience. Dr. Holmes talks about having our life experience, and through our life experience, it helps shape us and grow us. So, meditation is so valuable in that um, there's four forms of stress. Did you guys know that? There's four forms of stress. I'm going to talk about those today, because meditation is really a wonderful tool to have in our toolbox 
to deal with these four forms of stress. Number one is the choice-based stress. Choice-based stress is those activities that you and I would choose. You know, I don't know why anyone would ever go skydiving. For me, that would be a, a choice-based stress. I don't know if... Uh, um, I'm sure if I were in the military and all the guys were jumping out of the plane, I would jump with them, but I would not be happy. I would be stressed. I would be worrying about my parachute opening and not landing on something and all the stuff that goes with that. Um, you know, having children. Anyone here ever raised children? It's a choice-based stress. I can, and the people that have, that have children really uh, connect with that. Then there's unavoidable stress. The unavoidable stress, and those are the things that happen to us when, when a loved one becomes ill or someone that we love that's near and dear to us. Yesterday we did a memorial service here for someone that was beautiful. But those are the unavoidable stresses that we have in our lives. You know, through health challenges, through relationship challenges, we get fired from our job. Those things are unavoidable. And so how do we manage that? The fourth, or the third one is reactive stress. Reactive stress is how we manage the uh, choice-based stress and the unavoidable stress. So reactive stress is our, our perception with it, how we manage that. And that's why meditation can be so, so valuable in terms of how we perceive that and how we filter that. And then there's time stress. The fourth one is time stress. Time stress is this idea that we're all getting older. Time is slipping by. You know, the, the, things are happening with the body. Things are happening with the mind. Things are happening in relationship. Things are happening in the things that we always believed and perhaps that is changing. So I want to share a, um, a clip with you. George Carlin did a wonderful, wonderful uh, three minutes and 33 seconds on choice-based stress, and he articulates uh, a variety of ideas. They're actually in the Western world. They're, they're a form of sutra, and sutra in, in the Hindu tradition, the Buddhist tradition, is uh, points of wisdom. Like if a, a sutra would be, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, George Carlin uh, will share with you a number of Western sutras around choice-based stress. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm a modern man, a man for the millennium. Digital and smoke-free. A diversified, multicultural, postmodern deconstructionist, politically, anatomically, and ecologically incorrect. I've been uplinked and downloaded, I've been inputted and outsourced, I know the upside of downsizing, I know the downside of upgrading. I'm a high-tech lowlife, a cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, bi-coastal multitasker, and I can give you a gigabyte in a nanosecond. I'm new wave, but I'm old school, and my inner child is outward bound. I'm a hot-wired, heat-seeking, warm-hearted, cool customer, voice-activated and biodegradable. I interface with my database, my database is in cyberspace, so I'm interactive, I'm hyperactive, and from time to time, I'm radioactive. Behind the eight ball, ahead of the curve, riding the wave, dodging the bullet, pushing the envelope. I'm on point, on task, on message, and off drugs. I got no need for coke and speed. I got no urge to binge and purge. I'm in the moment, on the edge, over the top, but under the radar. A high-concept, low-profile, medium-range ballistic missionary. A streetwise smart bomb. A top gun bottom feeder. I wear power ties, I tell power lies, I take power naps, I run victory laps. I'm a totally ongoing, bigfoot slam dunk rainmaker with a proactive outreach. A raging workaholic. A working rageaholic out of rehab and in denial. I got a personal trainer, a personal shopper, a personal assistant, and a personal agenda. You can't shut me up, you can't dumb me down, because I'm tireless and I'm wireless. I'm an alpha male on beta blockers. 
I'm a non-believer and an overachiever, laid back but fashion forward, upfront, down home, low rent, high maintenance, supersized, long-lasting, high-definition, fast-acting, oven-ready, and built to last. I'm a hands-on, foot-loose, knee-jerk head case, prematurely post-traumatic, and I have a love child who sends me hate mail. But I'm feeling, I'm caring, I'm healing, I'm sharing. A supportive, bonding, nurturing primary caregiver. My output is down, but my income is up. I take a short position on the long bond, and my revenue stream has its own cash flow. I read junk mail, I eat junk food, I buy junk bonds, I watch trash sports. I'm gender-specific, capital-intensive, user-friendly, and lactose intolerant. I like rough sex. I like rough sex. I like tough love. I use the F word in my email and the software on my hard drive is hardcore, no soft porn. I bought a microwave at a mini mall. I bought a minivan at a megastore. I eat fast food in the slow lane. I'm toll free, bite sized, ready to wear, and I come in all sizes. A fully equipped, factory authorized, hospital tested, clinically proven, scientifically formulated medical miracle. I've been pre-washed, pre-cooked, pre-heated, pre-screened, pre-approved, pre-packaged, post-dated, freeze-dried, double-wrapped, vacuum-packed, and I have an unlimited broadband capacity. I'm a rude dude, but I'm the real deal. Lean and mean, cock-locked and ready to rock. Rough, tough, and hard to bluff. I take it slow, I go with the flow, I ride with the tide, I got glide in my stride. Driving and moving, sailing and spinning, jiving and grooving, wailing and winning. I don't snooze, so I don't lose. I keep the pedal to the metal and the rubber on the road. I party hardy, and lunchtime is crunch time. I'm hanging in, there ain't no doubt, and I'm hanging tough over and out. All right. So if you heard any of your sutras in there, because <laughs> our sutras are those choice-based stresses. You know, when we, when we decide we're going we're gonna to pursue our dream, you know, we're going we're gonna to pack our bags and head off into the unknown, um, it's a choice-based stress. And so it's, it's very interesting because we had the drumming circle. If you notice the appreciation that was up on the screen during announcements, maybe you saw, but we did a drumming circle here this week. And the guy came in and he was led to drumming and he was great. And uh, his name was Darren. I don't know Darren's last name, but we had about 30 people here and I was there and we drummed. And, and he said, we love tension. We love tension. And I thought, isn't that interesting? But he said, you know, think about it. We go, to a, we go to a football game. And by the way, the Oilers and the Eskimos are both in first place right now. I want to celebrate that, okay? <laughs> Because they are. Anyway, but, but we love to go because, you know, Laura and I were watching the game the other night, and, and it's like, you know, you, you're, you're watching it because somebody might score, and somebody might get scored on, and all this stuff. But all of those things, without that tension, you know, without, and we would go to a play, and there's things that happen, first act, second act, third act, and there's dramatic tension. We love that, and he was right. I thought, well, because tension is not a Tension is not a negative thing unless we allow it to be because our perception, but it's, it, it pulls us in. It pulls us into the story. So this whole, this whole um, choice-based stress is part of life. And, it's, and I don't think it's about living a, a utopian experience. You know, we talk in this teaching about a world that works for everyone. And see, I don't think that, that what we're, our mission or our calling to this, because I believe at the level of consciousness that does, the world does work for everyone. We have a challenge with the distribution of resources. And there are people that I know in the world that are suffering and are disadvantaged. There's things that go on. And I'm aware of that. But at the level of consciousness, it does work because consciousness always works. 
But when a world that works for everyone, what I believe it is, is not that it's a utopia. But what it is, is that we empower all of us, from our little ones all the way up to our, our senior citizens, to understand that whatever comes into our experience is a result of our consciousness, and we have everything within us and everything around us and all the resources we need to move forward in it. Because when we're equipped like that, it creates greater creativity. It's not to be floating around in a utopia. It's simply to understand that something new is coming into my experience because I've welcomed it and invited it. And it's shown up because this is what's alive in my consciousness, because that's how it works. And when we understand that whatever it looks like is not a disaster but an opportunity, then it is a world that works for everyone because people are then equipped and resourced to manage and, and to move forward in their lives productively. That, to me, is a world that works for everyone. We teach affirmative prayer here, and what I know about affirmative prayer is that eventually, my goal with my life is eventually I've done enough of my own affirmative prayer, which is the recognition of the one source of life, that my life is that life, and then I, whatever I add beyond, uh, on top of that. That's what I love about our, our meditation. We come in and we build this, this, this vibration of love. But eventually, I believe eventually, if I practice this enough, then I don't do affirmative prayer because my life becomes a prayer. Does that make sense? You know, there are, there are, when we practice, the way that we master something is through practice. And meditation is one of those powerful practices. So there's the choice-based stress. I've got to pay. Oh, yeah, here he is. There's choice-based stress. Anybody here a skydiver? That's a choice-based stress. The next one is the unavoidable stress. And the unavoidable stress is, you know, when, when our loved ones end up in, the, in uh, health care, those types of things where something happens that, that we really are... It's a little washed out there, but we are, I've set the intention for a new uh, projector and a new screen here, and we're working on that. So God's got, got it handled. Don't worry about it. I just want to let you know it's a little washed out, and we, we're aware of that. Then there's the reactive stress. The reactive stress, if you see it, is about a 90-year-old guy. This is actually um, uh, Jackie Hancock invited her grandpa for an airplane ride. He didn't realize he was going to be not landing with the plane that time, but he went out with a guy on his back to... to uh, take a trip. So this is a combination of the choice-based stress, the unavoidable stress is the reactive stress, how we manage that. Our most difficult task is to master our reaction to stress on this planet. Our most difficult task is to master our reaction to stress. Reactive stress is the way in which the mind takes hold of stress and warps it into anxiety, worry, frustration, anger, or depression. And, we, and it's a very popular activity. In relationship to the, to the unavoidable stress, there's a, the next slide is, is uh, John, John Kabat-Zinn's amazing man who's done a lot of work with meditation and, and stress on the planet. And it's a lot of text up there. He says, for me, facing the full catastrophe means finding and coming to terms with what is most human in ourselves. There's not one person on the planet who does not have his or her version of the full catastrophe. We all have it. Catastrophe does not mean disaster. Rather, it means the poignant enormity of our life experience. Everything we think is permanent is constantly changing. It's stressful. Everything we think is permanent is constantly changing. And how we manage that change and how we're in the change. So, as he says, this includes our ideas, our opinions, our relationships, our jobs, our possessions, our creations, our bodies, everything. And so to, to stand in, the, in the, the understanding and the knowing, as I said earlier, that spirituality is being fearless with ourselves and the world around us. Because when we understand what our life is and how we're supported, 
it's, it's completely different. Then we can stand in our life, even though the, you know, the, the nerve endings are firing, but we can, we can observe it and go, wow, look at this. Look what's showing up here. And that's, that's a challenge. I mean, that's, that's personal awareness. That's personal mastery. Because it's so easy to, to spin, and as, as, as um, John Kabat-Zinn says, to, to warp it into frustration and despair and anger. Napoleon said, got a picture of Napoleon up there yet? Let me know when it's there. Then I, that's the other thing we're working on. We have a monitor here so I can see too instead of going like this. Napoleon said, I know, you know what amazes me? And I picked a picture of him where he looks a little worn out because I thought it was appropriate. You know what amazes me? The inability of force to create anything. The inability of force to create anything, which speaks volumes to me about being in connection, being in high relationship with, with the divine presence that we're connected to all the time. But most people don't even realize it. Dr. Holmes said that we have to be aware of it. We have to invite the relationship. We have to court the presence. Courting the presence is so important. I, was, I came in, this, we had a, a, a wonderful... Um, Anonymous donor that purchased some flowers this morning, and, and so we were here, and, and uh, Christine came in early, and she started clipping the flowers, and I was watching her, and, she, and it was just like a ballet. I was getting God bumps, watching her take each flower and trim it and put it in, and she said, you know, she, I guess she felt a little self-conscious, like, am I doing something wrong? I said, no, it's just so beautiful to watch you putting these flowers in the vase because each one was like a little prayer. And she said, I love flowers. And it was so obvious. She was articulating what I was experiencing. And so here's this, it was, and it was spiritual practice, just these beautiful flowers that she put in the vase. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm about ready to start crying and I didn't want to freak her out so I had to leave the room. But I mean, it was just this, it was this amazing experience. It was like, oh my gosh. And it's so beautiful. You know, part of what we do here that I'm very uh, mindful of this. One of my ministerial friends has said for years to me, does your space hold the weight of the divine? Does your space hold the weight of the divine? And And it's not that this is unique and this is the only place the divine shows up, but it's our opportunity. So as a, as a greeter, you know, it's God coming in the door. And to, hold that, and to hold that space for people so people can come in and for a bit of time we can practice. This is saint school. We get to practice honoring the beloved in one another. We get to practice seeing the beauty in one another and put, putting down our biases and putting down our stresses and putting down our worries and anxieties. And it becomes a sacred space because we create that together. And so when the space is here, it's, it's so lovely. It's, it's, it's to make it as tidy as possible which is order, and then to have some beauty here. You know, I mean, these beautiful flowers, there's not one of us that, can, that could do this. I mean, this is just amazing to me. If we question the, the presence of divinity, you know, there's not one of us that can do that. I can't. Anybody here ever created a rose, grown a rose? I can grow one, but I'm not growing it. I'm just digging the hole, as I said last week. So... I love that. Napoleon got to the end of his life and he realized that nothing gets created by force. But we have to participate in it. And we'll become more adept at understanding that our job is to plant the seed. Ours is to to keep in mind and nurture the what, but not the how. So there's some strategies. 
strategies around this, this uh, meditation. Next week, we're going to talk about heartfelt. Today is about mindfulness, how we, can, how we can have mindful practice in our lives, whether you're a meditator or not. But how can you have some strategies in your life that will help you? The first strategy is simplicity. It doesn't matter how much meditation that you do. It doesn't matter how much simplify. It doesn't matter how much meditation you do. If you are going a million miles an hour, it's not going to help you. Part of meditation is creating some space in your life so spirit can show up so that you can be in relationship. And I've lived that life. I've lived that driven life. Did it, did it, did it. I, I have a PhD in that. And as I move along and I realize that, I, I, that I, there are certain things I can't do physically anymore. And that's good. It's not a problem. But I just don't have that kind of physical stamina that I used to have when I was 25 years old. But that's true for all of us. But to simplify and to really focus on the things that are precious, important, that you love to do. Number two, take t- short timeouts. There's a spiritual practice. Do you take short timeouts during your day? Dr. Gans, I heard him on the radio a couple weeks ago, and he said, build a firewall. You know, have a firewall in your life. That's something that allows you to take short timeouts. If you find yourself rushing, rushing, rushing. And just simply slow down and take a five-minute break. Because what I have found, if I, if I take... You know, when, I put this, when I put this stuff together, I, I probably take 50 breaks. I don't sit down and this doesn't all come to me at one time. I get an idea. I get one line. I go, okay... Where is this going? God, where are we going this week? And then I go and I do something else. I go and I, I go out and I water or I, I go read something else or I, you know, I turn on a, a t- television for 10 minutes to see how the Oilers are doing, you know, that kind of thing. Got to keep track of those guys. But, and then I go back and I go back and I go back, but that's how I do it. And, it's, you know, I'm not one of those guys that can sit down and grind it out. And I, if I have to, I can, but it's a whole different experience. And it becomes very forced. So I like to give myself enough space around me, enough room around me. so that See, what I do is, I'll tell you, I figured this out, is that what I do is I fill myself up with enough information each week, and then I use about 10% of it. That's my process. I read and read and read. I've got six books going at one time. I read, I fill it up. Because what I need to be able to do is I need to be able to turn around in my mind to the file cabinet and pull up what I need. And all of a sudden, a story will come that I've, I looked at and go, oh my gosh, that's it. And my friend Edward Foglione always says, I always use notes because if I don't use notes in my talk, he's the minister of Santa Rosa, he said, if I don't use notes, God has a tendency to repeat himself. <laughs> don't you love that? I love that one. Yeah. He already said that three times. What's going on here? So take short timeouts. Notice where you hold your stress. Another spiritual practice. Where do you hold your stress? Where in your body do you hold things? Where do you tighten up? Where, when you start to get, to, you know, start to spin in the anxiety and worry, and stop and breathe into it. Go, oh my gosh, my poor liver. You know, I, my jaw. Like I'm great at that. You know, I'll sit down and meditate, and all of a sudden I'll feel how tight my jaw's been for the last 12 hours. Oh wow, sore, hurts. You know, how's your jaw right now? Is it relaxed? <sighs> okay. No one will know if you're relaxing. I know you're holding the world together right now. But we can breathe into those body parts. That's a, that's a form of meditation, spiritual practice. Greet our reaction, uh, reactions as messages from reality. So what's coming to us is a message that informs us and guides us. It's not an obstacle. It's like, oh my gosh, look at this, what's showing up now. And that's, we grow into that because many times a lot of people don't want to even look at it. 
want to run away, want to run away from it. Everything is usable and workable. Everything that shows up, which builds upon this last idea. It's the path. The path is our life. This is our life, the path. And then I love this one day at a time. In Elizabeth Lesser's book, she talks about a friend of hers that uh, lost his daughter. She was seven years old and she passed away and he felt like it was his fault and he was just crushed with sorrow and guilt and shame and so he started drinking real heavy and he drowned his sorrows and he drowned his pain in alcohol for two years and he had to go into treatment. And he finally got himself clean and sober and he was coming out of treatment and he said, you know, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm going to have to go back in the world. I'm going to have to be in relationships with people. I'm going to have to go back and find a job. I'm going to have to go back and build a life. And I'm scared. And he said, the one thing that's keeping me grounded is working my 12-step program, which is one day at a time. Because one day at a time, the insight as she, she develops this relationship was that at the one day at a time, if we can master one day at a time, which is one moment at a time, then all of a sudden, and we, and we get used to handling one day at a time, all of a sudden we start to have more and more faith in the future. I can handle this moment. I think I could probably handle tomorrow as well. And it's such a simple, powerful practice. It's a wonderful place to start. I've been in places in my life where the, the, what I had to do was just simply say, today, I'm so overwhelmed with all that's going on today, I know that I can walk to my car right now, and I'll keep breathing while I do it. And sometimes we have to just break it down for ourselves that way. But it's a really important form of self-care, and it seems so simple. Simplicity, simplify. How, what things have you got going on in your head or in your life that you could put down that you don't need? I don't know. I mean, I look at that. And so I, when, I, when I do this, I look at my own life. What are the things, that, what are the activities that I'm going on? And, you know, and then the strategies about what's precious and important within community and within ministry for myself. We have those discussions all the time. And it's healthy to do that and to talk about it. To take short timeouts. To notice where you hold the stress. Greet our reactions as messages from reality. Everything is usable and workable. That's the path. And one day at a time. So time stress, as we grow older, as we're looking for everything shifting and changing now, you know that it all changes. 20 years ago, I've been having some, some challenges with my legs lately, and you've seen me limping, and you see me afterwards, and people say, what's going on with you? My knee swells up uh, quite a bit, and I found out it's in my hip. And so I'm tracking back, 20 years ago, I fell off, I was, after the Northridge earthquake, I was a building contractor, and I went up, and I went, this little old lady, very sweet, called me, and she said, would you come and look at my chimney, it fell over, and I went over to her house, and I didn't have a ladder, because I think was, my ladders were all out with all the guys working, and I went over, and there was an eight-foot stepladder, and you know what says that this eight-foot stepladder never go above this rung? Well, throw that out the window, because I went up the, above the rung, and I went up on the roof, and I did the sketch, and I figured out what it was going to take, and I'm coming back down, and I put my foot on the stepladder, and the stepladder went flying, and I fell about 10 feet. And fortunately, it wasn't concrete I landed on, but I landed, instead, it was this really nice soft brick that I landed on, because brick's softer than concrete. And so she's at the front door looking at me, and I'm laying there, and it knocked the wind out of me, and I'm scared because... You know, I don't have any health care, and I don't have any accident insurance for myself. I'm, you know, I'm the guy holding it all together, and I'm on, the, I'm on the brick. The wind knocked out of me, and I'm worried about her because I didn't lose consciousness, but I couldn't breathe, and it took me a while. So she says to me, are you okay? And uh, I put my thumbs up to let her know I was breathing, and then finally I could see I'm fine, and I got up, and I, you know, it was sore, and 
And I limped around. I never went and saw anybody, you know, therapist. I just kept going, kept working. And after about six months, it was bothering so much, I went to, the, um, I went to a chiropractor. He said, you know, have you had any recent trauma? And I said, like what? He said, well, have you had a car accident or anything? And I said, hmm, about six months ago, I fell off a roof and landed on my butt. And he said, well, we would consider that trauma. <laughs> and so he said, because one leg is three inches shorter than the other. And so what's happened now recently is that hip has started to act up. And I think this is interesting, 20 years later. But it, it shows up in my knee. So I realized that this is my opportunity to take care of it, and I've been getting some really good care. But it's, it's very interesting because, you know, it's like, what's going on here? And it's, it's an opportunity for me to slow down and take care of myself. But those things happen to us. You know, we revisit those things at times. So this past week, we lost a, just an amazing woman. And talking about time stress, talking about getting older, I think she spoke so beautifully to what we stand for. So we're going to put Maya Angelou up. We have a short clip that we want to play with an interview of hers that I want to leave you with today. But it's just powerful, wonderful information. You say words are things and that they're so powerful. So what words do you turn to for comfort? Love. And again, see, I don't mean... I think, I think love is that condition in the human spirit so profound that it allows us to forgive. Mm -hmm. And it, it may be the energy which keeps the stars in the firmament. Yes. I'm not sure. It may be the energy which keeps the blood running smoothly through our veins. I'm not sure. But it's something beyond the explanation. It can be used for anything you can't explain, any good thing you can't explain. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Where do you go for solace, for comfort? Are there books that you read? Or when Maya Angelou needs comforting, yes. yeah. What, yes. do you, what do you use? I, I'm a student of unity. And there's a book called- The Lessons Unity Church? Unity yeah. Church. Mm -hmm. Maya first discovered the Unity Church in her 20s after her voice coach and mentor Fred Wilkerson invited her to a service there. Founded in 1889, Unity is a Christian movement that emphasizes affirmative prayer and education as a path to spirituality. I took a course in Unity about two years ago online, not to become a member, a minister, mm -hmm. but just to understand more deeply there's a book called Lessons in Truth. Wow. And in the book, there's a line which is, God loves me. And when I came to read it to my then mentor, Frederick Wilkerson, uh, the late Frederick Wilkerson, mm -hmm. I read, God loves me. And he said, read it again. I said, God loves me. He said, read it again. Mm. Read it again. And finally, I said, God loves me. It still humbles me that this force, which made leaves and fleas and, and stars and rivers and, and you, loves me. Me, Maya Angelou. It's amazing. I can do anything and do it well. Any good thing, I can do it. That's why I am who I am. Yes, because God loves me and I'm amazed at it and grateful for it.
So just one person's strategy for managing time stress. And God does love us, each and every one of us. And we can do amazing things. And the more that we connect with that, I think it just makes, it gives the, the wind beneath our wings. So keep up your good practice, getting cracked open, being present with what's going on in your life. It's all there for us. And we are loved beyond measure. And we forget that sometimes. Blessings.